Hey, McShank podcast fans, just wanted to let you know, you've obviously clicked on this episode. It is about the most recent Batman movie, and we do get into some spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, go see it already and then come back. We'll be here. We'll be waiting for you whenever you're ready. But check it out. Or maybe you just want to be spoiled. Then you don't want to see it and you don't care. Either way, enjoy the episode. Oh, won't you keep it tuned right here up next? It's the McShank Podcast Boys, Ryan and Clayton, coming at you on KMPN in sunny Los Angeles. Welcome to the McShank Podcast. Who are you? Clayton, I think. Tonight I'm Clayton. Tonight you're Clayton. Why don't you ask who I am? Ryan, who are you? I'm Vengeance Baby. <laughs> Tell me how long you've had that opening <laughs> uh, in the can. It was about 9.30 this morning, and I was like, okay. I really need to, I need to, I need to do this. <laughs> not not as long as the seven days I thought that you'd been prepping. Okay. Oh, man. Yeah, this stuff, that sort of stuff just kind of comes to me. So, uh, But welcome back to the McShank Podcast on MPN. I'm Ryan, and that's Clayton. I'm not Vengeance. But we are here to discuss vengeance and people named vengeance and all things vengeance as uh well clayton why don't you tell me what we're going to talk about today people already know because they've clicked on the episode and are listening to it but let me know uh what what are your thoughts well what are we, doing? What are we doing today it's been a few years since batman has graced the screen in what was it snyder's version yeah last, probably probably yeah justice, justice league justice and then league. and then his then then zack snyder's justice league on hbo max but in theaters since justice league since justice league so yeah. it's been a few years obviously pop culture hasn't recovered and needed something else to wash the stink <laughs> out of their mouth yeah we needed it so we're here to discuss the batman by matt reeves wow planet of the apes fame let me in he did something else in there, I think, too, right? Yeah, he's done a lot of... Uh, I mean, he did the, the last two Apes films. He did Let Me In. He also did lots of things that are really great, including Cloverfield, Cloverfield that's as well. That's of. the one you were thinking of. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. we are here to talk about Matt Reeves, the Batman, the long-anticipated, long-gestating reboot reheat yeah reopen i think reopen is probably good it's not a reboot i feel like there 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 is a certain amount of knowledge about the character that you kind of have to have going in which we'll talk about when we get to it but yeah it's not necessarily like we're just going to retell the story in a different way yeah well i i think before we even dive into that this is kind of a cool moment for us in our friendship and podcast history now let's wind the clocks back, Ryan. <laughs> How far are we going? We're going to August of 2005. Mm-hmm. We're both junior college transfers mm-hmm. showing up for day one, University of California, Santa Barbara. Go Gaucho. I, I did not know what a Gaucho was until I got to the school, <laughs> even after I signed it's... the letter of intent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I knew until I actually got well, there. Well, they they told you you were going to play the outfield, so here we go. <laughs> here we go. Yeah. Beach, outfield, Isla Vista. Let's do this. Uh, how many times can I sign? <laughs> yeah. Just pushing through the, through the table. You sign so hard. So we show up in 
Jeff Scheibel's class, our TA. And we're kind of talking, we're bantering. We have literally never spoken to each other. Yeah. And we come to find out that as we are still reeling in the wake of Summer's Batman Begins, Christopher Nolan's incredible reimagining of The Dark Knight, that we both kind of love that movie, and it's probably our favorite take on the character to that point. Yeah. So you could argue that, in fact, our friendship, 16-ish odd years later, was founded on Batman. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Would we have become friends if Batman Begins had not come out? I mean... Hmm, that is a really interesting point. It's a total hypothetical. It, it is. It can't be answered. We may have started talking for some other reason. Right. But as it stands, a discussion of Batman has led us to where we are today. Friendship begins. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. All right. I'll allow it. Yes. So I just wanted to throw that little tidbit out there. That is interesting. That is an interesting thought because, yeah, I mean, I guess we wouldn't. We, it was only later on that we found out all these other things that we had in common you know we have the same birthday we are both play baseball left-handed batting both big giants, giants fans, fans bay yeah. area people movie guys i feel like there, there would have been something we would have probably found our way to but it kind of yeah but but yeah i mean i guess this was kind of the the powder keg, the or the Batman Begins was the match, I think, and uh, kind of set us to where we are today. So because of Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins, I think you are listening to this yeah. uh, today. And going off that, I think just a a little background before we really dive into Matt Reeves' 176-minute Batman film. Mm-hmm. I promise we won't take three hours to finish this episode. But I've always been a Batman fan, even before the the whole thrust of college started and the viral marketing for The Dark Knight really captivated the imagination. Yeah. And we were hanging on just every public yeah. release of some type of image, whether it was Ledger's Joker or just another screen grab, really the viral marketing campaign to end viral marketing campaigns. Yeah, I've always been a Batman fan. I think for me, the definitive version of the character is still the animated series from the 90s, just in terms of tone, maturity, character development, that gothic art deco style that was so revolutionary in animation back then. I still think that holds up for me, but it is the... I'm always going to be first in the line to see a Batman film. It doesn't matter who's directing it, who's donning the cape and cowl. That character has been a huge fixture in my childhood growing up. How about you? Yeah, I am the same way, which is I think why a lot of what we're taught what we just talked about was such a big deal. For me, I think see, I have a tough time. I, I if you had to if you had to to put me to something which I know you will, I would probably say Nolan's the Nolan verse. We'll see what happens with Matt Reeves down the line, but it's slowly creeping up, I would think. Uh but I think each uh, each one or each sort of next iteration is almost a response to the one before it, or it's, it's trying to do something a little bit different. So with, I mean, I grew up watching 
reruns of the 1960s Batman show. And that was right. one of my all-time favorite things to do. Same bat time, same bat channel. By the way, if we're yeah. putting... If we're constructing out of thin air right now a spectrum of seriousness mm-hmm. in how this character has been interpreted over the years, I think it's safe to say that the movie we're going to talk about today and the Adam West Batman series could not be more on opposite ends yeah. of that spectrum. They are just diametrically <laughs> in, opposed. In fact, while we were waiting, we saw this together. I, you've seen it once or twice before and after that as well, I think now. Mm-hmm. But when we saw it together... The Alamo Drafthouse in L.A. was showing clips of the Adam West Batman just projected in the bar mm-hmm. that we were having our pregame drinks before we saw the movie at. Yeah. And literally Batman and Joker are surfing. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the shark repellent was about to come it out. It was there. It was definitely so- there. Or for something sure. like that. Yeah. And just the utter contrast between that and the movie we just walked into centering around the same character. Yeah. Could not. I just could not. That get is enough of that. that is really funny. I didn't even. Yeah, but that's that's true. I mean, I, but there are so many different ways that you can that that this character has been on screen, and I think that the while the silly ones, the silly versions, have their place. I mean, I uh, as a '90s kid was obsessed with Jim Carrey, and so Batman Forever in '95 was like just as big as the dark Knight was practically <laughs> back then it was like, I was so upset because we were going on a family trip to the East coast and I wasn't going to be able to see Batman forever until we got back like a week and a half later. And I would, we were in Providence, Rhode Island. My dad was uh, working on the first X games uh, yeah. before the, now that they're the, uh, they're, they're called the extreme games back then. Was that was it like 95, 96, it was 95. So summer 95, leave school, basically fly right to the to the East Coast. And we would, the place we were staying in Rhode Island, there was a movie theater that we would have to pass every time because Rhode Island is tiny. So we'd, you know, drive the same route to wherever we needed to go. And there was all, there was a theater we passed every single time. It was playing Batman Forever and Pocahontas. And I was just, <laughs> it was just taunting me. I wanted to see it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, 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 I've, the, you know, each each movie I feel like has its own place and feel like has its own specific type of value. Yes, even Batman and Robin, I would say. Because without Batman and Robin, I don't think we get Batman Begins. Which means That's... we're not friends. <laughs> so. so so if you want to sit, keep uh doing the infinite regress here, yeah. You could say that in an ipso facto indirect way, Batman and Robin is also responsible yeah. for our friendship. Fuck it. Let's just go all the way back. Bob Kane is responsible. <laughs> and Bill Finger. And Bill Finger. Yeah. Don't forget about Bill yeah. Finger. You, you history rewriting. Prick. This is this is Bill Finger Erasure <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, a funny note on Batman and Robin. I promise we will talk about Matt Reeves' movie yeah. in a second. But Batman and Robin, I think I was about fourteen when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Really, really starting to make movies a part of my daily life, yearly life, anticipation. It's all starting to factor in, and I yeah I do remember Batman and Robin being the first time that I thought a movie experience didn't go as planned. <laughs> I couldn't really articulate it to myself why back then. Oh, so for you, so it didn't go well. You couldn't, it's not like you got a sense of what other people were thinking. For well, you, it kind of didn't go the way it was It was obviously very broad, very full of campy colors, primary color awesomeness. Yeah. <laughs> but there was kind of a hush in the crowd. 
as we were all filing out of the theater that I couldn't like no one was talking. So I couldn't literally say what was happening, but I felt it. Mm -hmm. People walked out thinking that something had gone awry. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't think I rewatched that movie for another three or four years. So when I rewatched it finally, yes, uh, I, I had a better grounding to understand how that movie made me feel. Yeah. Yeah, you were able to... to and it felt like rock bottom, Ryan. Oh, boy. That's too bad. <laughs> Was there an icy bottom down there or something? Chill. Chill. I hate it when people talk during the movie. <laughs> okay. All right. Shall we dispense with the pleasantries? I think we should. I think that there... Uh, th- th- this... I mean, you want to talk about diametrically opposed movies. You could say the Adam West one. You could say the George Clooney one. And this one is kind of on its own plane of just just misery (laughs) so so there's a question that is being asked a lot about contemporary movies right now and it's does this movie need to exist right so just in the last calendar year west side story scream we're getting a lot of stories with very familiar names that just are spins on the familiar Mm -hmm. and the first question you have to ask is does Matt Reeves take justify a new film and I'm gonna let you take a crack at that one first so I will back up and mention really quick that you mentioned scream the did you see the new one no okay well it's on Paramount Plus now you can watch it uh I don't like Paramount (laughs) (laughs) fair enough okay we hate Paramount (laughs) check no I'm just I'm just kidding they still they they still pay me they want to hire you so (laughs) uh so basically the the during Scream, there was a whole sec- section talking about, you know, when they always talk, the, the person who's like the movie person says like, well, here's what's going to happen and here's what we're in. So they actually called it a requel. Okay. So that's the word that they were using to basically say it's a sequel, but you're still having some people from the same, like, or sorry, it's a reboot, but you're still using the old characters to kind of bring them back. So it's kind of a merging of the two. Right, legacy characters. Are yeah, back. yeah. So I think that, so uh, I do, I, the, the, your original question, I do I think this movie needs to exist? Mm, probably not, I would think. Maybe not until maybe later on or something. I mean, I guess it has been almost well, 10 well, years let's, been 10 let's years pull back. anyway sorry Cause, yes cause, cause no movies need to exist true true so, fair but, enough but just in terms of did, did the take justify its existence in terms of bringing something fresh and new to the table mm-hmm. i would say it would on would film agree. on film i think i think that uh i would agree that there's definitely yes yes okay yeah. i understand your question better now <laughs> school's in session right i got it i'm ready i'm ready <laughs> same bat time same, same bat, bat channel, channel. <laughs> yeah but i think what kind of makes it or gives it that different take is something that is very apparent early on which is that this is th- this movie has more in common with a movie like seven than it does with the dark Knight. fincher is all over this movie yeah in not just one film several films i yeah. would say oh you do okay well, yeah get into it but I think that that but but I think that that is great because then I'm not forced to compare it to The Dark Knight, which is one of my top five movies of all time. If I had to do that, it's I mean in my but you know I'm going to ask you that question. Well, that's the thing I haven't done it in so long. I just know that that one yeah. would be in there. Well, so. you have to. The question has to come up. Maybe we'll end with it. 
about mm-hmm. our favorite take on the character to mm-hmm. date. We don't have to get into it yet. Okay. But yeah, I totally agree with you. There is a tone and a grimness and a dourness, gloominess, throw everything like that at the screen you want that Matt Reeves is offering that I think pushes this material as far as it could possibly go before self-destructing. Mm-hmm. I think it does kind of ride the line of perhaps being even a little oppressive and suffocating at times with how bleak it is. Do I think it ever really crosses that line and implodes on itself? No. I think he I think he restrains it enough to where it all makes sense in the world and it's a complete and consistent and coherent vision for this character. Yeah. It's the first time we're seeing him actually really be a detective and right. use his powers of deduction and you know these things that we've heard about for so long and either in the comics or just referred to him as the world's greatest detective but we've never really seen that on screen before at least not to my memory at least not as the main focus or main crux of who this guy and who it's this character is. It's always been a little tangent. In yeah, the it's like, and oh, he's able to do these things. You know, I mean, you, I, I'm thinking about in the Dark Knight when they're the doing bullets. the bullets. Exactly. That is that is like something that would probably have been in this film. It fits better in this movie. And that's the thumper for when he pressed the round into the clip. <laughs> it was good. It was good. But it was, yeah. just a, sl- it was a sliver of, yeah. of the plot. And here... It is the plot. It mm-hmm. is all of it. This is a borderline police procedural that happens over the course of three hours mm-hmm. that I think is going to have its some pros and cons because of that bold approach in terms of how we receive Batman over the years. But you cannot deny that that is a take on the character that I think most fans of the character have wanted to see for some time. Yeah, I'm completely agreeing. And I t- tried to avoid as much as I could up until, up until like, you know, re- reading about plot details or uh, I didn't even, I don't really check Rotten Tomatoes much anymore. I was curious after I saw it, what it was at. But uh, up until that point, I hadn't, I didn't really know. I kind of heard whispers of this, that, and the other, but it was so interesting to have it geared towards that and not have that and not have it ruined or spoiled or something just so that you're still able to get the great action that you've come to expect and from these types of movies but also hey here's this like detective noir crime story which is a great genre one of my favorite genres anyway so to basically just be able to just cut out humphrey bogart and put in Batman. It's oh, yeah. like, whoa, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the third man, I mean, you want to go back to any post-war noir film, I mean, this movie is drenched in it. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of the look, where, Re- where Reeves is more successful than anyone who's come before is in the depiction of Gotham at night and what that means where this character could be at any time. You look at a shadow in the corner of the screen, he could be there. He could not be. Mm -hmm. And our actual introduction to this character, I believe, is premeditated by a series of criminals looking in shadows. Mm -hmm. And he's not in any of the ones at this point. But when we finally do get him, 
he's literally walking out of a shadow. Yeah, that's it. He was just hiding. He was putting on the putting on the suit and just yeah, and just coming out to 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 wreck shit essentially. Yeah, and as it's so funny looking back on something like The Dark Knight right now, which was lauded for being very gritty and grounded. Those are the words you always heard to describe it. Man, I mean, it almost looks quaint now in terms of the tone. And again, we can get into later just yeah. how what we prefer to see done with this character. But man, does Reeves dial it up to 11 here just with the world this character inhabits. I mean, it feels like it's always raining. Yeah. there's It feels like there's rain on the lens a lot of times. You're trying to look at something, but it looks smudged. Mm-hmm. It is dirty. You feel like there's always just trash somewhere around the screen. Yeah, it's not, it's not a great place to live. It's a, metro, it's a metropolis, not that metropolis, but it seems like the, the, the best avatar in real life would be New York City. But this is kind of like New York City, like Taxi Driver era, it's the nineteen seventies. Yeah, it's it's there's garbage on the street, and it's just it just doesn't seem like a very pleasant place to be. Uh, but on that point, though, that is actually the look of the film. I mean, obviously he's an accomplished filmmaker, but all this stuff was planned. So he did an interview with The Ringer that I listened to, and he really was set out to give the film a 70s gritty French connection kind of feel to it. And the edges of the frame, it's so funny you mentioned that because they are blurry on purpose to give that sense of fear off screen and the unknown and everything. So what they did was he worked with his uh, director of photography, Greg Fraser, who also worked on Dune, Dune, which is like, you did these two movies in four months. Crazy. Yeah. So what they, what's funny is he probably shot Batman first. Yeah. (laughs) A hundred percent. I don't know that for a fact, but, but I would not, I would not doubt you. So they, what they did was they took, they shot the film and they took the digital file of the film, run it onto film. Like they, they put it onto actual film. Okay. Then they ran the film through and digitized that. Interesting. So they kind of had a multiple, a multi-step process to really, give it a texture and make it look like it was shot on film. Cause it really does look like it was shot on film mm. and not, and, and it, it doesn't have that sort of artificial digital sort of like uh, 3d painting, perfect sort of thing. It is not. And I think the character is an imperfect person and he lives in this imperfect place. Really? Like this is kind yeah. of an imperfect look. The, 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 the film has, Right, that really echoes what his character. Yeah, is. let's let's dig into the everlasting dichotomy that is Bruce Wayne Batman for yeah. a second here, because we've now had many actors take taking a whack at this for the span of. I mean, you can go all the way back to Adam West, but comic book proper, we're talking eighty nine Burton's Batman uh-huh. when this whole effort really began in earnest as we know it, and there has never been less psychological separation between Bruce Wayne and Batman until this film. Mm-hmm. Cause you look at Keaton, you look at what Kilmer Clooney mm. Bale, they really, really lean into the Bruce Wayne persona in this half when they're supposed to be Bruce Wayne. They are suave. They're debonair. They're charming. They, ratchet up the whole playboy thing it's that's always you know that's the mask that that's their public face 
And you contrast that with what Pattinson and Reeves is up to here. Whew, I yeah. mean, I mean, this is a tortured, disturbed character, like actually disturbed where we can get into this as well. I mean, because it, it dovetails nicely. This is the most Batman we've ever gotten in a Batman film before. I and mean, that's it, great. It's got to be like 85, 15. At least. Yeah, I, I wrote down 80, 20 yeah. in my notes. So that's where I was thinking with it. Like 80% Batman, 20% Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And when he is not Batman, I mean, he's still Batman. I mean, mm -hmm. the same tone, the same mannerisms, the same uh, speech patterns. We don't get the Falcone sent them to kill you. You know, that's gone here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Swear to me. <laughs> yeah. like, like that's, you don't get that. No, well, that's gone. I mean, he is talking in the same register whether or not he's wearing the mask. And that alone, I think, justifies this interpretation of Batman because I don't think we've ever actually seen a Batman that's been such a disturbed personality like mm -hmm. this film gives us. Oh, not at all. I mean, it, the Bruce Wayne that you see, save for sections of Begins and a section in the beginning of The Dark Knight Rises, he's, yeah, he's living that playboy life. I think in, in The Dark Knight, he... he is kind of doing it for show a little bit, but it's, yeah, but he's still doing he's it. He's playing the part. Yeah. He's still actively, you know, but he goes out with the champagne and just throws it off the, <laughs> off the ledge and in, in the, in, in his, in his uh, penthouse. But the psychology of this character, like there has never been such a thin line between what we are getting from in the mask versus out of the mask. And it even, breaks down to what Pattinson's doing with his face, I think, because I have a feeling that he still looks just as angsty and just as emo with his cowl on than yeah. he does with his cowl with off, off yeah. right? I mean, he is only appearing in public by absolute necessity. I mean, he is about as reclusive and hermetic as it fucking gets, mm -hmm. right? I think he's I think he's only brought out of the suit in this movie, you know, to attend a funeral or something right. like that. But he's attending the funeral to get information. That's it's, it. Yeah. He's basically using Bruce Wayne to get info for the Batman. It's really. not out of social concern. No. <laughs> or saving face publicly. Even Alfred, when he when he walks in and sees him in the suit, is like, oh, oh, OK. <laughs> so what do we owe this pleasure? What are we doing today? You know, and. But he says, oh, no, I'm going to a funeral. Serial killers like to go out to follow their victims. So Riddler might be there. It's like, oh, of course he's just doing this. I mean, this whole movie's going to a funeral. Yeah. You know, and that's what it feels like watching it. Not not in a pejorative mm -hmm. way. I mean, it's just a it's a distinct choice. Yeah, for what, sure. What we get here. And I think it makes this Batman Bruce Wayne the most volatile, combustible take we've ever got on the character i mean this character is really really maladjusted and just frankly brutal yeah i mean there is so much rage coursing through this character's veins and it's most evident when he is just in classic batman fashion taking on thugs i mean think about our introduce in our introduction to this character again He's walking out of the shadows. These hooligans on a train have surrounded this everyday citizen. They're mm -hmm. going to mug him. There's some kind of gang initiation thing going on. 
and he essentially just walks up and just pulverizes yeah. this guy in the face and gets on top of him and starts wailing on him over and over and over. We've it's just never been seen. We've never seen this angry of a Batman before. Yeah, no, it's an, it, it's it's really great because it also. Uh, I think my wife was the first one to to notice this, but the kind of person that would be a vigilante that would think I need to take up the mantle and do and you know succeed where the police have failed and take matters into my own hands. The type of person that thinks that's a good idea is the type of person that Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne is. He's not a guy that's like, this is not the behavior of a well-adjusted person. <laughs> this is not the behavior of someone who has everything together. It's like, mm, no, th- this guy like watched his family get killed in front of him and has essentially just lived by himself for 20 years. It's probably going to uh, affect you a little bit. And it makes sense that this particular Bruce Wayne becomes Batman. Because of how young this character is, it's the has to be the youngest iteration we've ever seen on screen. Yeah, he's got to be what twenty eight or something, I think, because it it is early on in the in their in his Batman career. We learned it's two years in. He is a Batman work in progress in this movie, which also kind of speaks to the richness of the direction the movie goes in, and just kind of more broadly, just stepping outside of the minutia for a second. I think one of the reasons this character has endured for so long since the comic book through countless film iterations has been, he is essentially you and me plus money Mm -hmm. plus real psychological problems. I mean, there has been a tug on this character. I think that has entranced people for a long time because he's so divorced from the typical fantastical magical treatment that typically come from comic book heroes from super book heroes. Like he is a guy who has chosen to do this, who is mortal, who can die, who has a lot of flaws, you know, that has to be some, some semblance of the appeal that's kept him so popular other than just the striking, visage of the character mm-hmm. himself and how different it is from so many more don't rule that out i think that that's a huge thing <laughs> just yeah. the look of him oh, the I look think. the look is striking as yeah. well yeah and i think it, it when you unpack the look and really get to the meat of the character there's also a lot to get lost in there yeah but i also but but i think that's part of why it's it's grown not grown on me but uh but it's that i have enjoy, i enjoyed the movie so much is because Matt Reeves is not coy about leaving him in the shadows. We have this 80% Batman in this Batman movie. It's not, you know, Zack Snyder waiting three hours to introduce Superman in his version of Justice League. Like, over three hours we have to wait to see Superman. Like, come on, man. Like, just what What are you thinking? But, I, I mean, yeah, he, he Batman, Batman himself and we talked about this after we saw it, but Batman is who this man is. And Bruce Wayne is the mask that he wears. Yeah, and I love how, I mean, that was the button at the end of Batman Begins when the Katie Holmes character is standing around the ruins of the Wayne mansion and telling him, you know, Bruce Wayne, this is your mask. You know, your real face is the one that the criminals of Gotham now fear. And that was kind of the first time that a fine point was put on that. Yeah in terms of the evolution of the character. And I think this movie just takes that idea 
and stretches it out to three hours for sure which I don't I'm not mad at I think it's a, I think it's an, a very interesting and as we said kind of newer cool way to on take on the character so last thing on Bruce Wayne really quick yeah so I the because they the the song the something in the way Nirvana song is played twice in the movie bookends uh, that was a surprise to you. And I didn't have it stuck in my head again until you just said <laughs> well, that. It had kind of d- dissolved over the course yeah, of a few yeah. days. No, it's and back now. now it's back. Okay. Well, he, Reeves had said that, that this version of Bruce Wayne, and I don't know where you get this from, but he said it was based on seeing Gus Van Sant's 2005 film Last Days which is the Kurt Cobain. Film. It's kind of like a Kurt Cobain sort of thing. So he said this to empire at the end of 2021. Well, is it actually about Kurt Cobain? No, it's it, not. Yeah, it's, it's about right. an avatar. I, I, it's about somebody I, who is like that. I haven't seen it, but I, yeah, I remember it was kind of, it's a proxy, right? Yes. A stand in. It's okay. similar. Like he's got a similar look. And I think this is like his way of telling that story, right. but he's, but in the interview with empire, he said, quote, that's when it came to me that rather than make Bruce Wayne, the playboy version we've seen before, there's another version who had gone through a great tragedy and become a recluse. So I started making this connection to Gus Van Sant's last days and the idea of this fictionalized version of Kurt Cobain being in this kind of decaying manner, which is exactly what he is. He's this person who is stuck in this while all this glitz and glamour and everything around him is just sort of uh, shattering or, or, you know, kind of crumbling essentially. So, I mean, he's almost stuck in a, a state of arrested development kind of in a way, right? Where, For sure. where he, he's probably had this temperament his whole life and it's only been in the last eight to 10 years where he's tried to do something about it. But I feel like emotionally this character is very, very stunted and only really expresses himself through uh, silence or, or rage, mm-hmm. you know, or anger. Like, it is, uh, I mean, I think he's still in the end, he's still what separates him from the Riddler, which we'll get into in a little bit. He's still driven by a kind of compassion, right? I mean, he, yeah, he, he has a moral compass. He, he, he has does a have a compass a, that yeah. points true north, and he still has his classic do not kill rule, mm-hmm. which has been well established in other films, and I think is crucial to this character. And it's always, it's been at least in the last 10 years or so, a real pivot point in the plot about does this character cross this line? Can he do it? What will he do when criminals realize that he can't do it? So that thread I think is a through line through most of the Batmans to date, but the difference in is just broad expression here. How he goes about channeling this type of anger and rage, I think is more unhinged than we've ever seen. Well, we talked about a little bit, uh, you mentioned it just now, but Let's maybe move off of Bruce a little bit and let's talk about the other people that are in this movie because I think overall the performances are very strong, which is another point in its favor. You can't really point to a to a strong to to a major character and say that they put in a weak performance or they didn't fit or oh they were in a different movie. Like I feel like everybody is on the same page. Everybody is is just doing great work essentially, and I think that that is typified by Paul Dano, who is just absolutely wonderfully twisted as the Zodiac killer. I mean, the Riddler. <laughs> and that's what I was getting into because Zodiac is clearly a theme in this film. Yeah. The ciphers, Cipher. the, mm-hmm. the coded language, even the breathing heavy. Riddler's costume. Mm-hmm. If you think back to the sketches of the Zodiac killer in Fincher's film, 
and just people how people had described him. It's that boxy kind of masky sort look. of thing. Yeah. I mean, Zodiac is all over the DNA of this movie. For sure. And obviously we're talking serial killer drama here, which we haven't really said by name yet. But yes, this whole plot re- revolves around an episodic case of serial killings <laughs> in Gotham with Batman. And I think you could even, we'll talk about it maybe a little bit later, but you can even weave a little bit of Fight Club into this movie too mm. toward the end, but we'll get there. But okay. yeah, proceed with. Well, yeah, Batman. I mean, just, it is it is a, uh, a, a, I'll say different take on the character than we've seen uh, on screen before. Not throwing, uh, you know, like bombs into the Batcave and doing like a <laughs> pelvic thrust when they ex- explode. But uh, I mean, just the fact that he, you know, we talked about it literally kills people in this movie. It's not just like, Oh, I'm going to beat them or I'm going to do something weird and figure out. It's like, no, these people are dead. Like it, it is a series of, of just killings, which is a really nice gritty touch that I wasn't really expecting that there would just be so much violence and so much based on um, the murder and the blood and all that stuff. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that, and, and that kind of ties back to the noir part and to the detective story you're unraveling and the, the, the Riddler leaving the clues at the crime scenes or sending them to him or anything like that is all very much like, it fits in with the detective portion of it. You're looking for clues. You're oh, yeah. trying to unravel this. It's You're trying to do that. Yeah, he's having to use... I mean, like you said, you mentioned the cipher. Like, they have to bring in the... Try to break the code of the cipher and everything like that. So, um, we didn't really talk about this. Are we going to spoil this movie? <laughs> I'm not really sure. We kind of... How about you put a little... I'll put a little tag at the beginning. A little tag at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, just, okay. tell, just tell people we're about to spoil the shit out okay. of this movie. So, don't watch it. If you don't listen, if you're... Or, yeah, if, okay, I got it, I got it. Okay. So... But I think what's also interesting, just staying on the Riddler a little bit, and I think we've been alluding to it a bit, is the fact that the film puts Batman and the Riddler as almost, and I'm going to make another reference to a separate Batman villain, almost two sides of the same coin in this film. Yeah, it's very, very emphasized here. The distance between them, there is very little daylight between the two men. Yeah. And... Really, the only difference is in that moral compass. But you could you could argue that you could make a psychological profile of these two men, and it would be eerily in an eerie eerie distance to each other. But I think the moral compass is is interesting because they are both seeking justice on those that they feel are evil. Mm-hmm. It's all kind of a matter of perspective and. and method yeah yeah oh that's true i suppose that's yeah, I yeah think, that's I think, where it I is think method is the yeah. big deal breaker here right? but i mean they're both shown wearing masks obviously they both are showing uh keeping journals there's a there's a big point when they break into the to the riddler's apartment and they mm-hmm. see all these john doe-esque journals it's just, so john doe yeah scribbled in and everything and but then you learn that that Bruce slash Batman has been doing the same thing, journaling his. We get a diary entry of Bruce Wayne slash Batman in the beginning of the film. And also toward the end, I think they're kind of like bookends in the movie. Yeah. But you get the feeling he's also just at home writing his thoughts. Yeah, he's out just on checking out. He's trying endless to notebooks, trying figure to figure it out, trying to unwrap his psyche and yeah. figure out what it all means and where it's going. But each of them spy on someone using binoculars. And that is very clearly shown. There's a motif of looking yeah. at people 
without well, their consent in this film. I think it's that. And I think it's also, there's also a lot of um, lights. I don't know if you noticed when you saw it, but like there's a lot of lights that just get shined directly into the frame. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like that there's a sense of trying to bring things to light and trying to bring the, in the movie, it's bring the rat into the light. And, uh, but there's a lot of like unmasking that is needed there. That word gets thrown around a lot as well. So, trying to get to who you really are, I think is, is kind of something that is yeah prevalent I mean, in there. I too. mean, it's always been Batman Joker. That's been the, the apex of this thing we're talking about mm-hmm. here. They've always been the two sides of the same coin and the, the dark Knight essentially being a heat like crime drama really kind of emphasized that the same way. Yeah. But I think where Reeves breaks new ground here with Batman and Riddler is in the disturbed angle and how essentially they are compatriots in this scenario almost unwillingly so i think riddler specifically comments on it in the movie mm-hmm. where we did this together we really yeah we're <laughs> what you, we're allied he said he say ally so, i think uh, i think we're allied i think in there we're yeah, allied. yeah. So we're something like yeah. that yeah like he think riddler thinks that they're one in the same, mm-hmm. you know, and they're both. They, yeah, they're both working to unmask this corruption to try mm-hmm. to, to sniff it out. And yeah, I mean, the fact that he even mentions it like, no, man, don't you realize we've been doing this together this whole time? You've been <laughs> yeah. helping me. I don't yeah. have the strength I, that you have. <laughs> I've been giving you the clues and you've been <laughs> cashing it out and, yeah. you know, and bringing the, the bait right into my spider web. This, yeah. this whole film. And I'm surprised you didn't pick up on that. <laughs> yeah, It's like, what? How? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I do like Dano's take here. I, I'm a little more mixed on him, I think, than you are. I think he mostly works. I mean, this is a very big, broad performance. Yeah. I mean, it's probably the largest he's gone since certain scenes and there will be blood in terms of of just of noise, of scale, uh, uh, just bluntness you know i mean i think he does emphasize the disturbed personality very well especially in a late confrontation scene between him and batman which is one of the the crucial turning points of the film in terms of you know psychological unveiling or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it um but he also has this kind of (laughs) this kind of basement dwelling gamer geek kind of vibe to him too that that didn't work as strong for me. Uh, just it, it gets more into the technology a little bit later. And it, that part kind of unfolds as the movie mm-hmm. goes, how he's, you know, he's essentially a 4chan user. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, and, yeah. and, and that while being an, a very eerie and, and a topical and very, very, very 22 thing that this movie's done and maybe a way that I don't know if any other piece of pop art has done, uh, he really does feel like something that we read about on the news quite a bit now. And I don't know if you actually felt this, but this Riddler makes this Riddler and where the plotting goes with how you realize he's his network is a little bigger than we would have thought going mm-hmm. in. He's not just this lone wolf going on these missions, carrying right. out these tasks, basically being you know, jigsaw plus, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, plus a game hobbyist. Yeah. Uh, he, he's also, I mean, there are real world parallels of where this movie goes that are very unsettling and 
quite frankly, very scary in a way that I don't think Nolan's films ever quite touched. I mean, The Dark Knight had our kind of post-11, post-9-11 anxieties with mm-hmm. terrorist activity weaved into it. Rises had that economic mobility subtext. With yeah. the, you could basically see Occupy Wall Street in the movie. But there were always kind of background themes, I think, to ground the character into the world. Where here, it is, it is the reality of the villain and therefore the hero to stop him to deal with this very dark web kind of culture. Yeah, no, and there's, and I think that that is a very, uh, I think the idea of it is very strong in because it does. I mean, when when do they when do we shoot this film? They probably you know this been in development for probably three years. I think he he said he he probably ma- started making it. And he started writing it around like seventeen eighteen after War of the Planet of the Apes, and then, but it probably got shot in like twenty nineteen or something like yeah. that because there was footage in twenty twenty at the DC Fandom event. They kind of put out like whatever they had already, but it is sort of it feels oddly more prescient now than it even would have back then it was kind of a maybe a germination a little bit of an idea but now it's sort of like well this is a main thing in our culture and Mm. a lot of these guys uh these extremists that they're that they're kind of riffing on i guess that's a horrible word to use in that sense but um you find out that yeah these guys are just on these underground websites and they have a 500 you know the 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 movie says oh there's like a 500 followers and i think some people chuckled at one of the screenings that i was at for that because they're like oh it doesn't sound that impressive but these are people that like want to kill and want to you know uproot society you know 500 people is a lot of people and he certainly can get done (laughs) he certainly gets a lot done (laughs) that's a lot of people to actually follow someone who's clearly insane yeah and a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> and a literal murderer. Right. So, And, I mean, I believe it was the shooting in Christchurch, New Zealand, that had a live stream component to it. I think you're right. Yeah. Where the killer might have actually been broadcasting in real time as he was going on his horrific rampage. And that is not word for word, letter for letter reiterated here. But the 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 tone of it and the scope of it is very much in lockstep with that. And I actually found it pretty uncomfortable watching it. And I'm not sure how that factors into my overall assessment of the film. I think it's to its credit that it could jar me like that Mm -hmm. in a way I wasn't really expecting and how far they push it. I'm not sure it's a great thing for cinema going forward to really dive this far into this kind of thing. Yeah. And maybe... I'm starting to sound older than I ever imagined myself <laughs> to be. I'm, I'm approaching get off my fucking lawn territory here. Yeah. I, I don't know how beneficial it is to really hold a mirror up to ourselves in this kind in of today's serious world, way. For sure. With how many unstable people there are out there yeah. who probably fit this profile pretty close. I yeah. mean, the, uh, the, the Colorado shooter, the night the Dark Knight Rises came mm-hmm. out, was could have been the Riddler in this movie yeah, know, or one of the Riddler's acolytes like pound for pound. I mean, it's there, yeah. you know? And so I haven't quite wrestled with how that approaches, whether or not I'd like this movie mm-hmm. or not, but yeah. it's really there and it's been spinning around in my head ever since. Yeah. And the fact that these guys in today's world have a platform, I think that's maybe the difference between 70s, 80s, 90s and today. It's not like a radio station, 
but they now can do this and they can live stream and they can say their horrific thoughts on 4chan and 8chan and all these horrible places, Facebook. But back then you didn't necessarily have it. But I think that I, I agree with you, but I also think that for this movie, I think it works. I do too. Yeah. So, but yeah, but I, but I, but maybe going forward, it's not something that I want to see done over and over again. Maybe not for the reasons that you said, like, oh, I'm, I'm worried about it or something. I, I kind of am worried about okay. it, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I, I guess it's just I feel like. But this gets levied against a lot of films. Yeah. This kind of thing, like, like Joker got this, this right. treatment and everything. Uh, I don't know. So, something about the way it was done here really, really is a more than faint echo i think to mm-hmm. oh no it's clearly yeah, an error. It's, yeah yeah i mean it's it's all over yeah what we read about agreed daily it seems like now yeah ripped from the headlines it is almost. really ripped from the headlines yeah. yeah but i do think you're correct in this world through this character it does make sense with everything that had been established leading yeah, up to it for sure definitely you want to get into Kravitz here for a second? Sure. We can talk about Zoe a little bit. I've got some stuff. Have you seen Kimmy yet? I have not. I have not. In the two days it's been since I saw you last, <laughs> I haven't seen Kimmy. <laughs> did I ask you that last you time? Did, I probably yes, did. did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, we were I, talking about her. We were, t- you know, we were, yeah. just, we were talking about how she is. Yeah. Well, so. I think she's really blossoming into an actress that we can anticipate going forward because in Kimmy, she really does in a very, very swift 90-minute film, create a fully fleshed-out, mm-hmm. rounded-out character who has her own little tics. She marches to a very distinct rhythm, and that kind of carries through all the way through that film, just in terms of the way she speaks, even the way she walks. Mm-hmm. And, and in this movie, I think she kind of pulls the, the same trick going a different direction. Her Selena Kyle, who we've now gotten three times, I think, if you don't count the, the Adam West mm-hmm. era, a mainstream treatment from... You know who I just forgot, Ryan? Who? Holly Berry. <laughs> well... Does that count? Does it really count? I mean, it, it does and it doesn't. It doesn't because it's not in a Batman movie. Let's right. say that. So that it, it didn't take place... So does Venom count because it's not in a Spider-Man movie? I mean, it counts as a... <laughs> It's a movie, but I mean, it's not something that is relevant to our conversation. It's not, I know. But no, I yeah, I think her spin on Selena Kyle is is quite good. She's kind of got the the the. the also, she doesn't even play Selena uh, Kyle. She no. plays Patience Phillips. That's the name of the no, character. No, it's in, Selena, it's Selena Kyle on it. No, no, in sorry, in the, oh, the Halle Berry yeah. one. I thought we'd moved past Holly Berry. Right? Oh no, no, no. <laughs> I I I needed to know. I needed to look it up. And uh, directed yeah. by Pitoff. Pitoff. Anyway, sorry. First name Pretension. <laughs> Last name Itoff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, go. What were you saying about Zoe? Well, she really does craft a good Selena Kyle here. I think uh, she's she's definitely got the the acrobatic quality, the the kind of the the night stalker, the night criminal, the the sultry kind of thing. She can also mm-hmm. walk in both worlds, like. Bruce Wayne Batman does she has her very clear motivations and she's operated by uh, a lot of grief and need for vengeance in the film which could not dovetail more nicely with 
Bruce Wayne Batman. Mm-hmm. And then that's why they're they have an, a mutual attraction. I think they see yeah. a lot of each other and in, in each other. <laughs> or a lot of themselves in each other, I should and say. And that attraction really is leaned into in this movie, I think. Probably. Yeah, there's a kiss. Well, it's it's a couple more than, kisses. It's more than that even. Yeah, one yeah. of the one of the podcasts I I listened to named um Film Spotting pointed this out and it is an early scene where they're they've both infiltrated the same crime scene and mm-hmm. they're not supposed to be there. They didn't come together, but they, you know, she went in first, he followed. Yeah. And they realize that they've made some noise and a police officer who was probably guarding outside has now come in to check it out. So they basically have to hide and they end up kind of back against the wall with Bruce's arms like cradled around her. And it kind of, it makes sense. Like they, they have to stay quiet in this moment, but it also kind of takes on this, you know, erotic element a little bit, Interesting, which is not really, there's nothing explicitly said about it, but it's kind of just the way it's shot and the way they're breathing, you know, and it kind of just develops a little bit more as the movie goes into like a full on kiss and a little bit of flirtatiousness. Mm -hmm. Although, it's really hard for me to to imagine this Batman being flirtatious like at all. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what was even funny too is even uh, he said something about her past, and then she drops the big bombshell that she drops, and then he just goes, "Sorry for what I said." <laughs> like, <laughs> what? No, Batman doesn't apologize. He just breaks shit. But right. So yeah, yeah it was yeah. those types of things. So yeah, I think he 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 does kind of. Uh, he does create a, a a little bit of caring towards her and a little yeah, bit of like a I mean, crush sort of thing. Just yeah. even in the the raw like carnal sexual attraction, I think is dialed up here. It's Zoe Kravitz for God's sake. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. I get it. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I mean, even he's her, a red blooded man. <laughs> as, as as damaged as he is, he's still a red blooded yeah, man. <laughs> exactly. Red blooded men can only take so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. I mean, Pfeiffer and Keaton, I think, got into this a little bit. There was that playfulness yes, there. That I was just going to mention. But that, yeah. it, it is not as accentuated here. As, no. In that, as I think it is here. And I, I don't quite feel the bond between them because I think she's her and, and Pattinson's just this cracked brick wall. Yeah, right. <laughs> who isn't really reciprocating a lot of it. Yeah. But they, they did try to go there in a way that was a little more mature and yeah. and uh, and that that kind of passion, which I thought was was a nice touch. Right, and they both are leading towards. They're they're both kind of in it for the sim, for similar reasons, even if they're coming at it from different points. Like they want to unravel kind of what's happening and why the Riddler is doing all this and what's happening in the city. But she also has this other sort of side quest where she's looking for her missing friend and roommate. And that ties into the larger plot. And so that they do tend to cross paths more often without even really contacting each other. It's just like, Oh, you're here now. Okay, cool. (laughs) We're, you know, we're both kind of trying to do the same thing, but it was kind of cool. Right. With her, like, they they kind of did this in Dark Knight Rises a little bit. With, oh, the, with, the ears, with like the, 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 with the ears, like very subtle. Or it's like they they you know with Hathaway they folded it up. It was like it was her goggles. It was her goggles was, yeah. to be a safe cracker or whatever right. it was. And with here, it's more of kind of like a beanie thing, I think. Right? Mm-hmm. She's, yeah. she's wearing a beanie with two little spikes on the end. Yeah. And she makes it's very subtle occasional little cat puns along the yeah. way, and they, they kind of play it just comic booky enough to keep it in that that world mm-hmm. while you know while, while still adjusting to the to the miserable tone of this film (laughs) what i was gonna say is that the she also i mean also has a separate persona of her own too and also she doesn't wear a literal mask 
but she must change her appearance f- at least four or five times in the movie. Yeah. When we first meet her, she's got, you know, you could tell she's probably got a bunch of wigs. She wears probably four or five different wigs. She's playing the damsel in distress. She's playing the vicious cat burglar. She's, do, you know, she's playing all these different she's roles. She's like dressing for function almost. For I, sure. I think. Because yeah. when, she, when she's working in the club, she's playing that angle to uh, when we meet her to get information and to, to suss out what could have happened to her friend. And, and she's always she's always willing to put on the face she needs for any given moment, I think, mm-hmm. which of course ties in with everything else going on perfectly. Yeah, no, that's true. But there's also other people uh, we can talk quickly about. Uh, I mean the ca- I mean the whole cast. I mean you know Colin Farrell is the Penguin and who <laughs> he Oz. is. Oz. Pe- people tell me he's in there, but I can't see <laughs> yeah. him. I think it's Colin Farrell. I think, but <laughs> we'll find out. But John Turturro's plays Carmine Falcone. Uh, Alfred Pennyworth is uh, played by Andy Serkis, another Matt Reeves staple. Yeah, uh, and probably the, films. the least amount of Alfred we ever get. Yeah, in but a their in, their relationship is so interesting because he's almost or Bruce is almost put off by Alfred. He's just kind of like Ugh, this, Alfred's just this there. Fucking guy, he's like, kind of like a legacy person in my yeah, life. Right? Yeah, <laughs> but he but Alfred is trying so hard to connect with him and so hard to help him, and he's the one who's trying to work out the cipher, and he's the one who's handling all the business of the uh, of, of Wayne Enterprises and. He's got all this. So, but I mean, you know, and Bruce even comments on it multiple times that Alfred, you're not my father. Like you just, you can't really, it's almost like two roommates that have just lived together for too long. Right. You know, where you're just kind of like, all right, this person is here. I accept your, that you are physically here, but I'm not really going to do anything. About yeah. It, so. You can contrast that with Michael Caine and Christian Bale and Caine could not be more of a father figure to, fails Bruce Wayne I mean that is their relationship if, mm-hmm. if not by blood then by purpose you know that is yeah that's who they are and yeah and it, and it seems like it's in this movie it's more of a one-sided thing where Bruce kind of comes around a little bit later when he really he really needs someone to uh to a shoulder to to lean on when mm-hmm. when he really is hitting rock bottom with where the plotting goes and so it, it they open it up a little bit there but for the most part I think Alfred's just someone there who takes care of them. Right. And, yeah. And that's about it. I'm interesting. I'm interested to see how that relationship grows in future films. And if mm-hmm. it, if it will continue to, and, cause we are so early on in the Batman story that, yeah, maybe if we flash forward five years or something like that, or three years to uh, something, I would, I, I'd, I'd be curious to see how it, where, where, where it leads. And if it's starting to go towards that Michael Caine, Christian Bale uh, look right on there or that there are that kind of relationship. So, yeah, I kind of want to dig a little further into the plotting maybe sure. to kind of start to, to tie a bow off on this yeah. discussion. Cause we are, we've already established. I mean, this goes to places that no plotting has ever gone. I think both in content and in structure. And I will say one of my reservations about the movie is the, episodic nature of the plotting which is essentially we're hopping from clue to clue to clue in a string of serial killings <laughs> right yeah uh, that, that that is the overarching structure of this film and I, I think it does get a little tedious for me just in terms of the the constant tone that we we are rolling to throughout most of these three hours it's kind of all it's kind of on a very similar pitch all the way through and 
it doesn't have, I think, kind of the more ebbs and flows of a movie that I respond to more where we are taking more interludes out to kind of thrill us in some ways or whatever. And we are maybe hitting the brakes on the plot a little bit so we can get more into some some more in-depth character development. Mm-hmm. You know, Because I think some of the character development is sacrificed in this movie for the sake of the plotting. And maybe that was by design because, I mean, how many iterations of these characters have we right. well, yeah, got so we've far? Seen, we've seen Jim Gordon. There, there's a, a lot of familiar seen, yeah. elements in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe that was a deliberate choice. But I think we did sacrifice some character in how this movie plays out. Um, but what I do love, and, and tell me if you agree with this, is how it digs into the underbelly of the Wayne legacy here. Yeah, in, I agree with you. In Love a it. way that has never been seen on screen before. Yeah, that was definitely a, a shocking uh, turn that the film took and something that was totally unexpected. And I think they may be playing a little bit fast and loose with the mythology a little bit in terms sure. of the the Arkhams and the Waynes and Martha's last name yeah. being Ark. You know, I mean, they're you know, taking some liberties. I'm fine. sure. Fine, but you know what though? I think it really works because it adds this whole other side of Bruce, and it starts to make you think like, yeah, I think I understand more about why this guy is who how, how he is right now. But that is just. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. something that that's never been shown before, and was a nice little button to go along with it. So, and it also, I mean, it at one point in the movie, it clearly gives the Riddler the upper hand, right? Because he has shown Bruce Wayne something about his past that he did not know, and could eventually redefine how he looks at mm-hmm. his family. Yeah, you, or his legacy and his own, yeah, I mean... His he, family are supposed to be the white knights of mm-hmm. uh, of Gotham, you know, pumping yeah. their wealth into various public works and public funding, philanthropy kind yeah. of endeavors. And it really, really shows the flaws in these characters in a way. I mean, contrast that with, I think I even remember the actor's name, Linus Roach mm. at, in Batman Begins, mm-hmm. right, who plays his father. Yeah. And just don't be afraid. The, the, a little bit of opera goes a long way, hey Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> but just think of just the shining beacon on the hill that guy is. Oh, he's just and to the think best. that another interpretation would show him in a moment of weakness and try to, if not undermine him, really get under the mm-hmm. the skin in a way. Yeah, I mean, it rightfully puts Bruce in a funk in this. It really movie, does. Yeah, and it really goes a step further into proving the Riddler's case mm-hmm. <laughs> in this movie. You're like, oh man, wow, okay. <laughs> How did he really, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, no, it's crazy. It's funny that you, the way you framed, the way you phrased that, you were like, oh, I, it gives the Riddler the upper hand, and now all I'm thinking is, John Doe has the upper hand now. <laughs> Stand down now. <laughs> Whatever you may hear. John Doe has the upper hand. <laughs> yeah, but, I, I just wanted to tie off an earlier thread too because I yeah. mentioned Fight Club and I oh, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think that where I was going with that is Fight Club also had that kind of response where it was mused upon and criticized against the film that the types of anarchy and social disorder it was displaying could be something that would poison the well in a lot yeah. of the minds of people that might saw it. Might inspire others. Yeah, to it do might something. inspire yeah. certain acts of 
corporate mm-hmm. destruction or yeah. or whatever it was. So I think in a in a little more tenuous manner that thread is here as well in terms of social mm-hmm. commentary. Um but man, yeah, it's it's all seven in zodiac here yep. for the most part. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean the and the to be able to have the gall to do that, to basically it's almost as if Matt Reeves got to what he thought was the bottom of the crevice and then had this idea to tie in the Waynes and the Arkhams to this citywide, you know, year, decades long corruption story that they're trying to unravel. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that th- th- we have to go deeper. <laughs> we have to go, we have to dig down even further <laughs> to do it. But the funny thing about it is that with all of the, just, I mean, because like you said, constantly raining in Gotham. It's always nighttime, practically. Just everything that goes on with it. It's not as if it's an unpleasant watch. It's still enjoyable. It's, it's engaging. It really is. Yeah. And it's entertaining and you in, in a way that you wouldn't think if you just heard these pieces laid out in front of you. Right. I but, mean, I think we may have unsuccessfully dissuaded people from seeing the movie at this point. <laughs> yeah. But no, I promise for anyone who hasn't seen it, it might be a little turned off by certain uh, repetitive uses of the phrase serial killer. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. a quite and engaging dour, film and, yeah, that, that keeps you on the hook for the better part of three hours. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult to do with this kind of material, I think. It is. So it is absolutely to the film's credit. Well, what about the length? Just, I mean, really quick. I don't, yeah. I, 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 it didn't really bother me. I, and maybe I'm just sort of changing as a film goer and getting older, but Length doesn't super bother me, whether his movies I, I feels heard, like it's too I, short. I heard that about you. Yeah. <laughs> That's only a joke that you can make after 16 years Damn of friendship. <laughs> Fuck you, Chris Nolan. <laughs> slash Joel Schumacher. Slash Bob Kane. And slash Bat Nipples. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, but yeah. But, it, but, but, I but, but, yeah, because I, I, I think that whatever story you want to make, that's the story you're going to tell. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it should be necessarily compromised. And I really don't know where you can trim in this movie because every piece of it builds on the last part that you've seen, just like a detective or crime story does. You find mm-hmm. a clue, it fits in here, you're going, you're moving through the story, bits and pieces, you're, you're getting bits of information from everywhere. Yeah. I don't necessarily know. And I don't think that that should really uh, dissuade people from seeing it, like seeing the length like that, because it, it does a good job of holding your attention. I think you'll be surprised when you get to the end or when it, what feels like the end. Um, uh, you I, know, you'll be like, oh, wow, OK, it has been three hours, I guess. So, yeah, I think there's only one moment in the movie I actually thought about the length. And I think it's it's got to be about two and a half hours in where you think that the plot threads have started to resolve mm-hmm. and the motions the movie's going in kind of feels like this is where most movies would start to kind of wrap things up. Right. And it kind of just keeps going from that point, yeah. which I guess you could probably say about the dark Knight in some places mm-hmm. as, as well, but because it's a good half hour longer than the dark Knight, it's just, I feel it more here but it's not to the film's detriment, I think, because no. while I did feel that where it goes is still interesting and engaging enough to justify it, I think it's not just the fourth ending of Return of the King. You know what I yeah, mean? Which yeah. is it's kind not of, just tacked on, it, just to tack on. Which is kind of always the whipping boy for right. unnecessary endings, the multiple, multiple endings. endings. Yeah, everything. Right. 
yeah. there could be a case of that here. I, I I think, but there are. It just it puts so much in front of you, and it and it asks so much of you, uh, and it does a lot. I mean, it doesn't really. It's not like oh, we've now blocked off Gotham from the world like they did in Dark Knight Rises. I mean, there you talk about bleak, bleak Gotham stories. Dark Knight Rises is pretty up, pretty high up there, but it does some pretty gnarly shit to Gotham City in this movie. But you still feel like I, you still feel satisfied by it. I think, it. yeah, I think in Dark Knight Rises, Bane is in the whole League of Shadows. Their goal is essentially make Gotham into the world of Matt Reeves' Batman. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's true. Because <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, they always say that there's such a criminal fraternity to Gotham in Nolan's mm-hmm. films, and I think you kind of really feel it the most in Begins, and it doesn't really hit like that as hard the other two films. But man, is this Gotham just like the bottom of the bottom? Yeah. yeah. Definitely. It, it is, it's not a place you want to yeah. get an Airbnb. No, you know? <laughs> no, not at all. But I'm sure the rents are ridiculously high anyway. <laughs> the rent is too yeah. damn high. <laughs> so I would be remiss. We would both be remiss b- yeah. without ending this talk, without talking about Michael Giacchino. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought Let's it up. Let's save the best for last. Absolutely. Because we've had some good Batman scores along yeah. the way. You said something that was surprising to me even then. What did you say about that? It's the best Batman score of any film because I think it it has some of the best things of all approaches working for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, because as a 90s kid, I'll always have the animated series theme rolling in my head, which is so brilliantly done. It has a, its own signature. And Elfman's score on the 89 film kind of taps into that playfulness, I think in a really fun way. Mm-hmm. Very accomplished score in its own right. Nolan's films with Hans Zimmer and I think James Newton Howard think did, did begins. Did uh yeah, at least begins with yeah. Hans Zimmer. Definitely has kind of a crushing driving force to it that hits some really cool themes and I'm thinking of the the chase scene in Batman Begins had a really cool little motif to it. But man, do I think Michael Giacchino who's mostly been famous for like I mean, he's been working a while, but he has been doing but, a lot of stuff. But Pixar is kind of one of his bread and butter, yeah. right? And to transplant him from that <laughs> to this, to this yeah. film, and for it to have been so successful, mm-hmm. I mean, this movie is worth watching for the score by itself. It's really, really fantastic. And each of those 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 scores and and, and music and stuff that you brought up, each has its own distinct Batman theme. Yeah, and he does it with two notes. Mm-hmm. He's able to create a new iconic Batman theme that you will never get out of your head just with with two two notes on a piano and in, in specific sequence. Yeah, it's it's really remarkable, and it's definitely it's on the 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 music is on display throughout the entire thing. But even the Riddler's theme. Uh, they do the Ave Maria, the song, the, yeah. the old hymn plays a, a big part in this movie, oddly enough. And there's multiple times when they play Ave Maria, but in like a minor key. So it kind of it's uh, it has like a very distorted thing to, uh, feel to it. The Catwoman theme, too. But just every note, every piece of it is just uh, pitch perfect. And uh, so to speak, <laughs> I guess. But but yeah, Michael Giacchino, uh, great great 
composer, and I'm glad that he's finally kind of getting his due. I I've been listening to him just like he did the music for The Incredibles, mm-hmm. and that music is so great. He did the music yeah. for Lost, which is another big thing in my my past life, and yeah, to 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 for him to show off in such a way in this one uh, is very very great. Yeah. So okay, so we've gotten the best for last out of the way. Yeah, because I think the score is really <laughs> working at a level that. The rest of the movie might be trailing. That's mm-hmm. a, that's how good it is to me. We teased it at the beginning, but we have to have the quick discussion about where this fits in for us okay. in terms of the Batman films we've gotten to date. We can be as blunt as say, this isn't my favorite film, or this is, or mm-hmm. maybe this is my favorite film. What tone I prefer more. Yeah. But if I can put you on the spot for a sec, where does we're both clearly fans of this movie? It's yeah, like very it's, much. It's yeah. like it's coming seeping through our pores, right? Mm-hmm. But where does it fit for you in the renditions of this character to date? So, um, that's it's it's. I know I should have been ready for it, and I just I don't know if I can be quite yet. But I can I can do this. It's probably if I had to guess, I would say it's probably third. Okay. I think it's. I think I still probably would prefer the Dark Knight and yeah. begins over it, but I think it's more fully realized than the Dark Knight Rises, because mm-hmm. those would be the those would be my f- three or four favorites. I think just I love the Nolan trilogy and uh, and and then this film too, but I mean and because I because. You know, this kind of goes back to a little bit to the what we were talking about at the very beginning. I wasn't allowed to see Batman when it came out. I was four uh, I years was, old. I was five. Yeah, five years old. You know, like I, no way I was I going to be able to see that. So I, there's always the the blue Batman and the black Batman. It was blue Batman was was the one I could watch. The black Batman <laughs> I could not. So that was you know that was how we d- delineated it. But I think right now it's probably comfortably third. I haven't watched Batman Begins in a in a, in in a, in a while, um, and this one feels more fresh, so maybe it's a little bit more recency bias. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely high up there for mm-hmm. sure. It's definitely up there. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm going to say fourth in my in my ranking. Okay. But again, there have been some very very good Batman films, so fourth should not feel like it's not going to meddle in this in this, no. in, in this competition. Like that is that is steep competition there. It really is. I mean, yeah, yeah you're you're up against some of the most you know and iconic fa- movies. And the fact I think ever. we're even talking about this, you know, just it just really speaks to how successful this this iteration was. But yeah. I think I still prefer like you. There's kind of a classicist note to Nolan's movies in the traditional blockbusters of old where it really throws some interesting themes out at you, but it's also grounded by a little bit more humor and a little bit more, it's got the darkness to it. It's got the real world stakes where you truly think anything can happen in this film. It's got the colorful villains. And I think just there's a thrill quotient to his movies that still gets much more of a rise out of me in terms of what I look for mm-hmm. in a film on this scale, even okay. though that being said, Reeves's film is scaled down a lot more from where we go with a typical Batman blockbuster. But True. In, in terms of the, the, the execution that really registers with me, I think what Nolan was up to, especially in those first two films is what I latch on to more as a moviegoer. Um, that being said, 
I think my s- Dark Knight is at the top of the hill for me, as mm-hmm. it is with you. It's still the best theatrical experience I've ever had in in, wow. my, in my life to yeah. date. And the subsequent seven viewings can attest to that. Yeah, one of my uh, notes I wrote, I read, I said I had a random Jones in to see the movie <laughs> in a random night in Burbank. Uh, you yeah, know, I'll, when it I'll, came I'll, out, I'll catch the eight p.m. screening tonight. Yeah, sure, why not? I'll drive to the AMC Burbank eight and see it. And I'll see it for a seventh time. Or I mean, part something. of this might be a generational thing, you know, because a lot of people a little in that forty to fifty age bracket still mm-hmm. probably prefer the Burton movies. I yeah. would think a, a lot of them probably do. Sure. But I think my second favorite film behind The Dark Knight is still The Mask of the Phantasm, okay. the animated yeah. film. And it's been in, years since I've seen anybody, it. Anybody yeah, listening who has not seen that, it is a brilliant, tight, perfectly executed vision of that character that gets so much drama and so much humanity on an animated forum into the screen. My mom took me to see it when I was nine years old. To wow. an almost empty theater, and I walked out of that thing with an ear-to-ear grin, but also kind of disturbed because it goes to some dark places. <laughs> so I'd probably go Dark Knight, Mask of the Phantasm, Batman Begins, and then The Batman. And the Batman. So a nice little string of films there. There you go. God, Mask of the Phantasm, mm-hmm. 76 minutes long. Yeah, it gets a lot in in 76 minutes. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the, the the Burton films were groundbreaking at the time. I mean, a comic book movie character as popular as this with the guy that to the to that point had really just made a couple of Pee Wee Herman movies and, you know, just re- Juice and Yeah, I mean, he wasn't yeah. really, I mean, he was kind of where Nolan was. You're kind of like, this guy is going to be... This little idiosyncratic kind of yeah. indie sensibility guy. I'd be interested to see what he does with a big budget and stuff like that, but... Um, and I think that everything kind of has, for me, it's why it's tough to kind of make me choose because everything kind of has its own place for me. There's a time and a place for the Schumacher films, right. I think. I mean, am I going to, if I'm jonesing for a Batman movie, am I going to watch them? No. But if I kind of want to. If I'm just, really high. Yeah, exactly. If I just want to like chill out, if I'm giggling at something, like I'm definitely going to want to, I'm going to throw in Batman Forever and watch, you know, the middle hour or something <laughs> like that. Oh, it's great. <laughs> And so, I mean, is what it- is everything to someone and nothing to everyone else? <laughs> You're mine, baby. <laughs> and now mine pumps with the power of yours. <laughs> so, yeah, I so digress. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think that there that, that that I probably prefer the grounded, grittier version. I, I think that's pretty evident by our list and by this particular conversation. But. I think there's a time and a place for for those other ones as well. Are they good? Probably not. But I saw them when I was young and impressionable, and so I can remember how how they made me feel back in the day. And uh, and and yeah. So yeah, it's probably a good place to wrap this up, right? I agree. So, so it's been a lot of fun, kind of unpacking a new Batman film for the first time oh, man. on the airwaves, and also I know. kind of penning another chapter in the, the friendship. I yeah, would say because I think so. We could, again, we could just grandfather in Batman and Robin as the reason we eventually became friends. <laughs> which which we figured <laughs> but, out tonight together. But in the bounds of good taste, I'm going to bring it back to where we started and say it was, in fact, a Christopher Nolan Batman film that led us to where we are today. Of course it was a Christopher <laughs> Nolan movie that brought us together. Have you heard any episodes of these podcasts before? My gosh. Speaking um, of the Tenet episode, we haven't done yet. <laughs> yeah, well, or maybe we have already done it. 
in the f- and we're going okay yeah yeah <laughs> let's wrap it up there uh, for the mcshank podcast i'm ryan thanks ryan i'm clayton this was a lot of fun <laughs>